If you haven't been here in a little while, let me catch you up real quickly. Uh, We are in our third and final week of a short sermon series that I've entitled Kingdom Stewards. And we've talked about what does it mean to be a steward of the kingdom of God. A stewardship is when God bestows upon us resources and expects us to use those resources to build up his kingdom. And the three resources that we've talked about are our time, our talents, and our treasures. So as you can imagine today, we're going to be looking at the third of those three, our treasures, and we're going to be talking about financial stewardship. Now before we start, I will say this. When a preacher stands up behind a pulpit and talks about money, there's a challenge and a blessing. Let me share with you the challenge. It is probably my least favorite topic to talk about, and I'll tell you why. I got saved at age 26. I'm 37 now, so I've been walking with the Lord a little over 10 years. When I first got saved, all that I ever saw about Christianity, I saw on television. And what I saw on television was greed and manipulation on every channel of Christian TV. And if you turn it on today, you'll see the same thing for most of them. In fact, I, last week I, I turned one on and, and uh, one of the stations on and Ashley said, don't do it, Bo, you're just going to get angry, don't do it. And I clicked on one and it said, $1,800,000 seed. And the guy said, if you just sow that $1,000 seed, God's going to put that anointing on you. This is your time of prosperity. You just go ahead and dial that number on the ground. I'm calling God's anointing on you this morning. And I, I, I see that. And I start seething. I start getting angry. And I start thinking, you know, there's a day of reckoning for people who manipulate God to make money. And so when I first walked into a church as a, as a Christian, I said, if I walk into a church and I hear a preacher stand behind the pulpit and talk about money, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm leaving. And I, and I had that in my heart and in my mind. But I ended up going to a, a really good church several years ago before I ever came to Cedar Street. And the, and the pastor there said, listen, This has been manipulated in many churches, but I'm called as a pastor to teach on stewardship of finances because if you don't learn in the church how to steward the resources God has given you, where else are you going to learn it? And so I've come to an understanding as much as I do not enjoy talking about the topic of our finances, it is something I'm called to do as a pastor to talk about how it is that we can be good stewards of the resources that God has given us. This is one of those touchy topics, I'll be honest with you. They say that uh, if there's two Baptists in the room, there's always three opinions, and the only thing they can agree on is what each other should have put in the offering plate the week before. So there's a whole lot when it comes to financial stewardship that we can talk about. But let me say, I said there's a challenge and a blessing. Can I tell you the blessing before we start? The blessing is this. In the 11 years that I've been a Christian, nothing has strengthened my faith more than to watch how God has financially provided for me in ways that I could never have done for myself. I'm not rich. In fact, I make less money now than I did 10 years ago. So getting into the ministry or serving the Lord Jesus Christ is not a get-rich-quick scheme, no matter how much the television preachers want to say that it is. But what I have seen is God enable me to get into situations over and over and over again where I need trust and faith. Just what we sang this morning, trust and obey. And I've seen God show up in the 11th hour in a way that only God could have. And it has strengthened my faith in such a way that when I look at the checkbook that I lay before myself every month as I look at our bills and I update our balance, there's nothing that has strengthened my faith more than to watch how God has provided because only God could do what he has done in my life the last 11 years financially. And so that's the blessing of talking about stewardship today is you have an opportunity as we look into the word of God 
to consider stewardship from a financial aspect that will strengthen your faith almost more than any other aspect of the Christian life because it takes faith to trust and obey God when we look at the checkbook and say, I don't know how we're going to make it to the end of this month. God is a good and faithful God, and He does make certain promises that we're going to talk about here today. We need to understand what those are and maybe how those have been manipulated in the past, but they are still wonderful promises that we are going to share here this morning. But, you know, as we talk about stewardship, we have to say this. God owns everything. God owns everything. There's nothing that we have now that we can claim permanent or eternal ownership over. When God blesses us with something, it's not for our ownership, it is for our stewardship. We are called to manage God's assets to help establish God's kingdom. And if we are willing to give generously for His glory, we'll we'll reap the benefits of having cheerful hearts now and eternal treasures forever. So as we turn to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8, the title of our message today is Three Cheers for God's Cheerful Givers. So let's find out more about God's cheerful givers. If you have a Bible, please turn with me to 2 Corinthians. And if you would stand out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and we are in verses 6 through 8. Hear the word of the Lord starting in verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things and at all times, you may abound in every good work. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you. You are a good and gracious God who owns all. You own the cattle on a thousand hills. And Father, we just thank you that you've called us to be stewards of what it is that you have given to us. Not to own it, but to manage it. And so Father, I pray in our final week here as we consider what it means to be a kingdom steward, that you would help us to be wise and to be prudent about how it is we can be stewards of the finances that you've given to us, Father. I know this is a heavy topic. It's a very touchy and personal one, but Father, I pray, since you've made it crystal clear in your word what you expect of us, that we would come to your word this morning with open hearts and open minds. And I pray, Father, that we respond to the word this morning in repentance and faith in your Son, our Savior. It's in his name we pray, and all of God's people said, amen. I thought before we dove into this particular passage, it'd be good to give a context of where we are in Scripture. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 the second letter that Paul has written to the church at Corinth. And if you know anything about the Corinthians, if you've ever studied 1st or 2nd Corinthians, they were a very interesting church, to say the least. There's a lot of spiritual warfare happening in Corinth. But they were also a wealthy church. Anytime I ever talk about Corinth, I always always try to make the the correlation to modern-day Manhattan, right outside of New York City, okay? Affluent, uh, very culturally diverse. Corinth was one of the... Again, one of the wealthiest new churches that had come after Pentecost. And what's happening here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul's writing to them and he's telling them, be ready to give a generous gift to the church in Jerusalem. 
And so he's preparing their hearts and he's preparing their minds and he's saying, you need to be ready. You need to be ready to give because I'm sending some of our messengers and they're going to be coming in a few weeks. Get your money together. We're building the church in Jerusalem. We know that God's blessed you with resources and you need to be ready to give these to other people. And to make an example of what they should do, he references a chapter before in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 about the Macedonians. Okay, the Macedonians, unlike the Corinthians, were poor. And they came from all the, the smaller churches in, in Philippi and Berea and Thessalonica. And the Macedonians were poor, but they were rich in their generosity. And they gave out of a joyful heart, and they were happy to do it. And so Paul is, is weighing this, this, this poor church that gave with everything they had and this wealthy church that struggled to give it all. And he's saying, look, they don't have a lot, but what they do have, they give. And when they give, they're cheerful in the way that they do it. And he's encouraging the Corinthians to look at the Macedonians and say, listen, God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. So that's where we are here in this particular passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And so as we walk through, I want to make three, three cheers, okay? Three cheers for God's cheerful givers that we can look right out of the passage here in 2 Corinthians 9. So the first of those three cheers is this. Number one, cheerful givers reap what they sow. Cheerful givers reap what they sow. Look back with me here at verse number six. It says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. I know that sounds obvious, but let's go back and think about the actual illustration of a farmer with a seed, all right? When you're supposed to plant the seed, you don't get on your hands and knees and plant one by one by one. You scatter it. All right, the word they call is broadcast. You broadcast the seed and you just scatter it on the ground. And the more that you scatter, the, the greater the harvest that it's going to be. And I don't think that we think of it in those terms because we are stewards not only of the kingdom of God, but also of our own family and our own households. And so we think sometimes like the farmer who gets on his hands and knees and puts one seed after the other after the other. It's not to say that we're not irresponsible. We need to have a budget. And we'll talk about that as we get further along in the passage. But God blesses generosity. And he says those who sow generously will reap an abundant harvest. And those who sow sparingly are not going to have as much of a harvest. I know it sounds obvious, but he makes the point right here in the Word. And let me also say, it's also talked about in other passages of Scripture, it's not the amount that we're giving for the kingdom of God it's, it's the generosity out of what it is that we have that God cares about. The passage that's very famous in the Gospels in Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44, most of you have probably heard this passage. It's about the woman with the two copper coins. Some of the translations call it the copper mites. And it says here in this passage, and he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which makes a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. I would say that is abundant sowing of the seed. She sowed abundantly, and she will reap abundantly. She sowed bountifully, and she will reap bountifully. And God calls us to do the same thing. God calls us to do the same thing because when we give beyond what we think we can give, 
we put ourselves in a position of trust. We have to have faith that if we've given beyond what we think we can give, that God's going to return enough to us so that we can keep on giving. And that takes trust and it takes faith. And again, I go back to my own walk with the Lord. This is what has strengthened my faith more so than almost anything else that I've dealt with because I've been put in situations over and over again where God has moved in my heart to give when I didn't know in the end of the week if I would receive enough to make it. And every single time in some way, and God's very creative in how he's met my needs, every need's always been met. And I'm standing here behind this pulpit telling you the gospel truth. God has met every single one of my needs in the 11 years that I've walked with him. Now, we're going to talk about more about this in a minute, but in fact, I think the third point is we're really going to touch on this. There's a big difference between wants and needs. And as we walk with the Lord, he tends to separate those two things quite a bit. So hang on, we're getting there. But again, number one, God loves cheerful givers because cheerful givers reap what they sow. But number two, as we walk into verse 7, cheerful givers give from their hearts. It says in verse 7, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So what does this mean, giving from, the, from our hearts? Well, here's the unique thing that we need to understand. We do not live under the law. We live under grace. However, we need to understand how this works. In the Old Testament... Okay, the people of God, the Israelites, lived under the Mosaic law. And there was three aspects to the law. There's civil, ceremonial, and moral law. Okay, civil, ceremonial, and moral law. Now, God did not cancel that law when Jesus Christ came. Jesus Christ fulfilled all of the requirements of the civil, the ceremonial, and the moral law. So that the New Testament says we do not live under the law, we live under the law of Christ, which is a law of grace. However, since the law has been fulfilled, it doesn't mean that we just completely ignore it. We can pursue it, but we can pursue it out of gratitude for what it is that God has done for us. And the part that we pursue is that moral side. We don't pursue the civil or ceremonial side, okay? We don't have Levitical priests here who have to make a sacrifice of blood because Jesus is the final blood sacrifice. But the moral aspect that we learn when we read the Old Testament, that applies to the New Testament. It's been fulfilled in Christ, so we don't have to do that for our salvation. We're saved by grace through faith, but we still can come and do these things out of gratitude. Not because we have to, but because we want to. That's what it means to live under grace. God's taking care of all the requirements because of Jesus. So now we get to do all the things that God commanded them in the Old Testament, but we can do it because we desire to, all right? Because we live under grace and we don't live under law. So how does that affect us here in the New Testament? I want to talk about a couple of things. First, let me say this. Heart-led giving does not always mean spontaneous giving. All right, I think when people talk about being heart-led or being spirit-led, people talk about the Holy Spirit as a spirit of spontaneity. And there are certain times in Scripture where we see the Holy Spirit descend down upon the people of God, that, you know, the Pentecost being a perfect example where things are manifested in ways that we've never seen before. But by and large, when someone is spirit-led, they're orderly in how they live their life, not spontaneous all the time. You know, I've had people say to me before, if you're a spirit-led preacher, you're not going to have any notes. And I always say this, the same spirit that's leading me behind the pulpit is the same spirit who was with me in the five, six, seven, eight hours that I was studying to preach this message. Amen? 
That's the Spirit of God. He's a Spirit that leads us in order. So when we say heartfelt, that does not mean that we show up at church and say, okay, God, what are you putting on my heart today? Uh, 80, okay, okay, got it. That does, that's not what heart-led always means. Heart-led means what it is that you do decide to give is between you and God. It's between you and God. You're not held to any th- standard where people are looking at your number and saying, this is what God has called you to give. It's between you and the Lord. But having said that, God has still given us a standard that we can look in the Scriptures to to help us in our giving, and that standard is called the tithe. Now let me mention the tithe, okay? When I was at seminary, there was a lot of smart Alex students that loved to get into arguments about this because they'd say, we don't live under the law, we live under grace, and the tithe is a part of the law, therefore we should throw it out. No. The tithe is a wonderful principle that God initiated in His Word to help people systematically give to the building of the kingdom of God. A tithe literally means 10%. Okay, a tithe is a systematic offering to God of 10% of one's material wealth. Now, back then, that wasn't just money. Okay, it was also crops. It was also goods. All right, we see in Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30. Okay, Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30 says this. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. All right, so in the Old Testament, they were commanded to come into the storehouse and bring 10% of what they had, whether it was their currency, whether it was their crops. It was the first fruits of what they had they were called to give to the Lord. Now, that's not all they gave. There were times throughout the seasons they had a free will offering that they could give as their heart led. But God instructed them to systematically be prepared during every harvest to give 10% right off the top of what God had given them back to him. Does God need that 10%? No. God uses that 10% more than we can use our 90%, but he does it to strengthen our faith and to build up his kingdom. Now we live in the New Testament. So is there tithing in the New Testament? Here's the argument, okay? My razor-sharp scholars at seminary would sit there and when we'd battle back and forth in classes about this and say, well, you know, anytime you say tithe, that's legalistic. You're talking law. We live under grace. Again, let's go back to what I mentioned before. Jesus fulfilled the law, not so that we would do less than we did, you know, the, in, now than we did in the Old Testament. Now that we could do the same or even more because we're led under grace and not under restriction. So tithing is a wonderful principle that we can use today to systematically contribute to the kingdom of God. One of the books that I read that has inspired me more than almost any other book when I first became a Christian, it's about this thick, about 80 pages, written by one of my favorite authors, Randy Alcorn. The name of the book is The Treasure Principle. Let me read to uh, to you a quote from this book concerning tithing. Here's what uh, Randy Alcorn says. He says, The tithe is God's historical method to get us on the path of giving. In that sense, it can serve as a gateway to the joy of grace giving. It's unhealthy to view tithing as a place to stop, but it can still be a good place to start. Even under the Old Testament, a tithe wasn't a place to stop because they still had free will offerings. Tithing is not the ceiling of giving, it's the floor. It's not the finish line of giving, it's the starting blocks. Tithes can be the training wheels to launch us into the mindset, skills, and habits of grace giving. I love what he says there, because let me tell you what happened to me. 
when I became a believer, nobody ever taught me this. My parents never sat me down and said, now that you're a member of the church, here's how you systematically can contribute. Nobody ever said that to me. When I joined churches, the pastor, the people in the church never said anything to me. They just handed me a box of envelopes and said, there's your offering envelopes for the year. So nobody ever taught me this. So when I read these books and God began to really pour into me, I began to understand this is a great principle. And I'm going to mention a little bit deeper why tithing is such a great thing uh, for believers in Jesus Christ, even though we don't live under the law. I believe that a goal without a plan is a wish. Okay? And all of us have good intentions that we want to give. But if we do not have a plan, when we start off the new year, of how it is that we're going to contribute, I promise you the world will be more than happy to tell you how you can spend your money. Things will come up week after week after week, and they're going to seem more important and more important and more important. And you're going to say, I would give, but you just don't understand what happened to me this month. And you just don't understand how this is going to work and how that's going to work. And I'm telling you, I believe this with all of my heart. When people are committed to the tithe, okay, which, which today means when you get your paycheck, whether it's every week or every month, 10% gross before taxes, that money goes into, a, into the envelope, into the plate, and it's given for the kingdom of God. When people are committed to doing that, it's amazing how they're able to roll with the punches when, when, when they get thrown a curveball, when they have things pop up left and right and say, I just don't know how I'm going to pay this bill this month. You know, but but I've, already, I've already committed. I'm going to give the tithe no matter what. It's amazing how God provides in ways that we could not do if we held on to all 100% ourselves. I've seen it happen. It's amazing. All right, and the testimonies that I've heard in this church, and particularly the charter members of this church who have watched this church do this financially, but watch God still meet and provide every need. It's amazing some of the stories that I've heard over and over and over. And again, it goes back to this God is not concerned with your checkbook, He's concerned with your heart. That's what He's concerned with because the trust and the faith that it takes to give beyond what you think that you can. It builds faith when you see that God returns it. It builds faith when you see that God returns it. Let me say this last thing before we move on to our third and final point. Cheerfulness is something that comes after we give and not before. You could read this passage and say, well, God loves a cheerful giver. When I have cheer, then I will give. But we got it backwards. When you give, then you will be cheerful. And how is it that you will be cheerful? Well, You can see God working on your behalf. You can see God using your seed toward abundant harvests. You can take time to meditate on the eternal rewards that God is blessing those who've been faithful to Him on this side of heaven. You know, I get excited uh, when I left to go to seminary. That building that is there now where my office is was just a dream. And I remember coming back to dedicate it, and I remember signing with a with a black sharpie, my favorite script, verse of scripture, and I don't know what part of the building that is now, but I know what I wrote on the, on the foundation of that, of that building, and now I'm in that building, and I know that some small portion of that, God enabled me to participate in that. And so for every kid that comes into that building, or every adult that comes and hears the gospel in the Sunday school hour, and comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I got to play a very small, tiny piece in that. Because God enabled me to steward the finances to, to partake in that. And so many of you as well. It's a blessing to know we've already paid the building off. You've been faithful. And if you are part of that, celebrate. There is eternal rewards awaiting you in the kingdom of heaven. And that alone ought to enable you to be a cheerful giver. It multi- the cheerfulness, it multiplies itself. You see God working and you want to be a part of what God's doing. 
there are three, three things, again, that I think that could make us cheerful, that our faith is strengthened, we play a role in God's kingdom building, and we receive an eternal reward. Those are, those are three things that could make us cheerful. Again, after we give, but not before. So that leads us to my third and final point here in our passage in verse 8. Number three, cheerful givers depend on God's grace. Cheerful givers depend on God's grace. comes right out of verse 8. Read it with me here. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Let me go back to what I said a few minutes ago. God's grace is sufficient for our needs, not always our wants. The deception of the television preachers is that if you sow that $1,000 seed, God's grace is going to meet your wants. It's not what he says. Sufficiency talks about needs, not wants. Now, we do serve a good and generous God, and I'm going to be honest with you that he's not only met my needs, but he certainly has exceeded them. If you see in every passage where it talks about the ways in which God has miraculously provided, think about the the 5,000 that were fed with the loaves and the fish. There's always leftovers. God's good. He gives beyond what we need. But he also helps us to understand the difference between wants and needs. And I think sometimes we're scared if we trust in God, He's going to start taking away some of the things that we want to set us straight on the things that we need. I'll be honest, He did that in my life. He did that in my life from 2011 to 2012. He began to clear out some of the material things that I was holding on to. But I'm so grateful that He did that because it strengthened my faith in Him in ways that I can't even put into words. You know, I, I really believe this. The Bible shows us in so many passages, I'm going to read one here in a second from the book of Malachi, that we can't afford not to participate in his kingdom with all that God's promised us. Randy Alcorn, again, the same book, The Treasure Principle, here's what he says about uh, what happens when we withhold the tithe from the Lord. Here's what he says. In Malachi 3, when God's people were robbing him by withholding tithes and offerings, he said, and I quote, Test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. That's Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Alcorn goes on to say, Ironically, many people can't afford to give precisely because they're not giving. If we pay our debt to God first, when we will incur his blessing to help us pay our debts to men, when we rob God to pay men, we rob ourselves of God's blessing. No wonder we don't have enough. It's a vicious cycle, and it takes obedient faith to break out of it. This past week, I had a deacon. won't say his name because I didn't get his permission, but I had a deacon of our church sit in my office, and he shared with me. He said, this is what he said. Brother Bo, I've done it God's way, and I've done it my way when it comes to giving, and I'll never go back to my way ever again. And he shared with me uh, t- uh, trials and tribulations in his own business but how God blessed and prospered and how he's completely debt-free and he's learned to continue to trust in God. And I've heard him say this multiple times over the years. I can't afford not to give because if I hold on to it, I begin to trust myself. I begin to trust my wisdom and management. I begin to trust that I can manage every penny the way it should go. Or if 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 I'm systematically giving to the kingdom, I'm trusting in God. I'm giving to others the way that God has given to me And I'm trusting that God will give enough back to me to meet the needs I have this week or this month 
and then I can continue the cycle of giving and receiving it is what I need. In fact, I've often heard to say the Christian's life ought to be one with open hands. We receive openly and we give openly. That's what it means to be a, a financial steward. And, and I'll say this as we, as we draw to a close, I, I want to share an illustration that I've shared in this church before, but it's been many, many years and it's just near and dear to my heart. I keep this thing in my wallet all the time because of this particular illustration. So, again, I got saved. I began actually to be a member of this church 2010, 2011. I was living in Excelsior, Georgia. And I had all time in the world because I was in between jobs. I was not yet the youth pastor, but I had left Pineland. And I was doing some freelance work. I was writing for newspapers and writing for magazines. But I had a lot of time on my hands. And I had this perfect storm where I read the biography of Michael Guido, who trusted in the Lord for every penny and never asked for a dime from anyone. I read the autobiography of George Mueller, one of the awesome men of faith of the late 1800s. And I also read The Treasure Principle, all within one month. So God was just all over me about this. And so I began to think, well, I'm unemployed. And I'm getting these sporadic checks doing this freelance work. And I think at that time, I was getting an unemployment check for just enough to get groceries. And I thought, if there was ever a time to say, Lord, I just don't have enough to give 10%. I'm not making it on 100% right now. I can't give 10% of what I'm already not making it on. I felt led to step out on a limb. And I came into this church, and I put into that plate 10%. And I would do it on a Sunday, and I'd wake up Monday morning and say, Okay, God, got three bills due on Friday. I don't know how this is going to work but I made a few commitments. I would not stop tithing, and I also made the Michael Guido commitment. I would never ask anybody for a dime. I would be faithful, and I would pray. And the first day that I began to wonder, I, I, I had a big 200-pound dog. Most of you remember an English mastiff named Sarge, and he ate. Big dogs eat a lot of food. I had about a $50 bag of food that I needed to purchase for him, and he was, he was getting towards the end of the last bag, and I thought, how am I going to feed this dog? I began to pray. Within hours, I got a knock at my door. Again, this is Excelsior, all right? You don't just go down Dutch Ford Road unless you've got a reason to go there, all right? This is not on the way. I get a knock at the door from a 16-year-old girl who knows me but doesn't know anything about my situation, and she says, in prayer this morning, God said to me, you needed this, and I still have the envelope to this day. She spelled my name wrong, but that's okay. She put Philippians 4.19, God bless, and God will provide your needs. It was exactly $50. I'll never forget that moment. Did it make me rich? No, I was poorer than I ever was before. But it strengthened my faith. It said, step out in faith. And I said, Lord, let me never again deny you the tithe. Let me never again walk into your house without giving you at least 10% or whatever portion you put on my heart to give to you. Now, I will tell you, again, we're in a season right now in my own family where we're down to one income, and we have an extra mouth to feed now, so things are a little tighter than they've been in the past few years. I don't know how God's going to provide, but I do know this. In this particular season, I will not come any less than the tithe because that's a wonderful principle that God has set in place to help us give. I hope I can get to the point in my life to go well above that, and I'll be honest with you, I'm not there right now. I can't go higher than that right now, except for specific things that God puts on my heart, Lottie Moon, Annie Armstrong, those types of things, youth events. But I will say this, I know that my needs will be met. I know they will. 
And I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I don't always honor the Lord, but I trust that He will meet my needs. And He will do the same for you. He will do the same for you. So let me draw this to a close by just saying our conclusion. Our conclusion is this. God loves cheerful givers who trust and obey His word or His will by investing financially in His kingdom with open and generous hearts. Does this describe you as one of God's cheerful givers? I'll just, let me just make you two promises as your pastor. Two promises behind this pulpit. And I say this on the authority of God and not my own. Here's the two promises from your pastor as we close. Number one, nobody in this church will ever question what you give. What you give is up to you and the Lord. You have my word as your pastor. My eyes have never and will never see the offerings that are given in this church. I don't know who gives what. I don't want to know who gives what. I don't. And I've been to churches where leaders in the church, when things are not going well, they pull out sheets and start marking who's not giving enough and making phone calls and sending letters. And that's a recipe for disaster because you rob people of being cheerful givers. As long as I'm the pastor of this church, that will never happen. I promise you. I will not rob you of the joy of giving. You give as God leads in your heart and it is between you and it is between God. And I promise you, you'll never be pushed by anybody in this church. You give as God leads. Here's the second promise. If you commit to giving 10% of your gross income every month for one year, God will meet your needs in a way that you could never do if you kept 100% for yourself. That's not on my authority. That's on God's authority. If you commit to giving 10% of your gross income every month for one year, God will meet your needs in ways that you could never do if you kept all 100% for yourself. I promise you, that's not on the authority of Pastor Bo. That's on the authority of the Word of God. I just read the, the, the chapter in Malachi. He said, trust me and watch what will happen. Again, the television preachers are talking about you being coming into a season of prosperity that you could never possibly imagine. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying your needs are going to be met and you're going to watch God show up in a way that you've never seen Him show up before. That's on His authority. And I know the hour is long, so we're going to pray out here, but I just uh, I pray that we would consider with open minds and open hearts what it is that God calls us to do and be cheerful givers for His kingdom. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, again, we love You. And we just thank You and praise You for this day. Father, I thank you for uh, the opportunity to speak and speak on a topic that is very difficult to speak in. Uh, I just thank you, Father, for your grace and your mercy. I thank you for the generous hearts of people in this church who are in agreement with your word and your spirit. And for those, Father, who maybe have never even considered what it is to be a cheerful giver, that, Father, this would be an opportunity for them to stand out in faith. So, Father, I just pray that we continue to be a church that cheerfully gives to your kingdom and however you would move in our hearts. So, Father, we just love you and we just pray at this time that you continue to keep your hand of blessing on Cedar Street Baptist Church, that we would be faithful to you and cheerful in the building up of your kingdom. And, Father, if there's anybody in this church who's never invested in your kingdom because they, they're not a part of your kingdom, they don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray in this hour, Father, that you would move in their hearts that you'd remove the hearts of stone and replace it with hearts of flesh, that they would come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and that salvation would come to their house this very day. These things we pray in Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen.